Welcome to the Pantheon Podcast. My name's Hagen. This is Shannon. Yeah. This is episode number three. Now, hopefully you've been able to watch the two previous uh, episodes that we've done so far because some of the information that we'll be relying on or going into today will rely upon the information from the previous episodes. Yeah. Okay, so the place that we're going to begin is um, with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr.'s book. <laughs> Don Miguel <laughs> Ruiz Jr.'s book, yes, The yes. Mastery of Self. Cool. So I was wondering if you'd be able to give us a little rundown of what agreements are. On what agreements are? Yeah. Okay, so not the whole book you want me to design, you want just that one, yeah. one part of it. Okay, um, agreements are... Accepted judgments. That's what I think agreements are. So they're a judgment that you um, <clears throat> accept from somebody else, and that's how you decide from that moment forward that you're going to do that particular thing, or you're going to feel after something happens. Like you, you basically make an ag- uh, agreement, and you sign a contract with whatever judgment has been made. So it's kind of like an agreement is your own internal forms part of your own internal system of law. What are some examples of a, of like agreements that people have or maybe even agreements that you used to have? Um okay. That I used to have. Any. Sorry? Any. Any agreements. Um I used to have an agreement about not wearing like girly clothes when I was growing up, which was really weird. Like, um, it's like made an agreement to myself that I didn't want to be like that because that was somehow bad or mm. not as good. But I think that was, um, I think I took, I made those agreements because of my mother's judgment of people that looked like that because she didn't. Um, so that's an example of an agreement, I suppose. Uh, also chores. Chores are where a lot of people make agreements they don't actually want to keep. So they agree to do, um, a lot more or even a lot less than what would make them feel comfortable. Yeah. So if you grew up in a household where your family kept it really clean, then, um, you would feel guilty well, if they had, if they lived in a house which they kept really clean, and if you didn't keep it clean, then and they would punish you for not keeping it clean. Then that would be an unhealthy agreement, right? It depends. I I think uh, one other thing we need to bring into this is the fact that domestication is like um, inherently connected to agreements. Agreements yeah, that's are another part of by the... domestication, the same way we can domesticate a dog or a cat. Yeah, yeah. So that that process of how basically how it how they domesticated you into accepting that judgment um, is how that judgment will affect you pretty much. So. Yeah. So I've I've had an agreement uh, that I have to finish the food on my plate, yeah. regardless of how full. I am. Yep. Because um, children in Ethiopia are starving. Did your mom actually used to just say that the children in Ethiopia are starving? She did say that, and I think I think that's a very common thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. it's a very common um, agreement or uh, way of um, teaching that. But did Be- you actually want to stop eating, like? I don't know, I was a bit of a glutton. Yeah, so, I don't know. Maybe that was just an excuse you used in order to eat. It could be. <laughs> it could be, but the reason I actually brought that example up is because that example is used in the book as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's a very interesting little um, story about how a boy and his grandmother, a boy goes over to his grandmother's house and she domesticates him by using the carrot and the stick into finishing his food when he's full already. So he's being taught to continue eating and reject his own self-understanding, which was that he was full at that point. Um, and the idea is that domestic once domestication has been put into you um, externally by someone 
I guess it could be anyone, but it tends to be the people that raise you. Mm. Um, once that domestication has been seeded in you, you will continue to domesticate yourself well after you've uh, left that environment. Yeah, yeah, you will. Um, that kind of links to shame as well, because um. Well, yeah, it, it, it inherently does because of the the way domestication is put into with put into you with either reward the carrot or punishment the stick. Yeah. So that's that's judgment. That's you're good or you're bad. You're yeah. a good boy for finishing all your food, and you're a bad boy if you don't because children in Ethiopia are starving. Yeah, carrot or the stick. So either positive reward or um, punishment. So reward or punishment. Mm. Um, yeah, those are two commonly used ways to get somebody to do something that you want them to do and um especially and to get children to make agreements to do certain things the way that you want them to be done um i think referring back to our last episode with nvc i think that's actually quite a useful tool to use to um if you are if you are wanting to enter into relationships raise children in a way that doesn't create agreements that are not their own, so ones that won't be almost fighting against them for the rest of their lives, um, then I think using NVC is, would be a good option, because then you're just talking about needs and feelings, and everyone can be different, and feel different things, um, and they can find out themselves what they do and don't want to agree with. Miguel did um, remark that domestication uh, will be judged as positive or negative for the individual by that individual based on where they go and what they want to do with their lives. So you could have a negative domestication or a positive domestication and that's just a consequence of how um, of basically like the parenting system, the parenting mm. process um, because you do like you need to domesticate your child in a certain sense to not run onto the road or not put their hand on a stove. Like certain domestications are required in also in order to protect them from dying or serious injury. Yeah. Um, but yeah. There are many like uh, Jordan Peterson talks about the idea that you want to have as minimum rules as you can. Yes. The more yeah. rules you have, the more complex a system you have to be aware and operate within. So. Yeah. So as few rules as possible. Yeah, and and it's the same with agreements. You want to have as few agreements as possible, and you want to teach other people and yourself that you need to question these agreements as well. Mm. So um, Don Miguel also talks about the fog. The fog? What's your understanding of what the fog is? Um, I thought it was the smoke. The uh, there's the smoky mirror, but um, the, the there's a shaman guy who calls himself the smoky mirror. There's that, and then there's the fog, and the, they're sort of similar ideas, and they're, oh, they're yeah. also connected to the, the party, the okay. party. So, my idea of what the fog is is that it's something that it's when you find yourself in a place where it's really hard to see um, how you got there and where to go, and you just continue to search. So, you have to, yeah, it's like a state of continual searching while living. So you're never content, you're never like, okay with where you are, you're just lost in the fog of constantly trying to search for something, you don't even know if you've found it yet. Like, to me that's what being, that's what the fog is. I don't think people wander around aimlessly in the fog, I think people are searching in the fog, and that's why when you don't know how to control your emotions, you act out negatively towards other people. Hmm. So the, the the idea for me is the fog is almost just like a um, like a field effect card from Yu-Gi-Oh. Like it, the whole thing is just foggy, and people are still trying to survive the best they can. It's just they've let some type of clouding of their vision occur, or they're not they don't quite see as much as they um, used to. My understanding of the fog was that the fog is constructed of the the unconscious agreements that people have built into them. Domesticated. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what it is. Yeah, apparently. That's yeah. why people, as you were saying, they're looking for something but they're unable to find it. They don't know where they came from. They don't know where they're going. 
Yeah. And that's because your individual um, will to power or, or drive to life is being warped and skewed and distorted by the fog of the unconscious agreements that you hold. Yeah, it's almost like you're never able to fully um, find something of your own when you're still when you're in the fog. Mm. It, it's almost it's almost like the same idea of Iron John, like finding finding the wild man. It's like you never find yourself until you leave home, until you go through everything that you need to do, heal all the wounds that you still have from um, your time growing up and the things that happened to you and then you still might not have found the thing that you were looking for mm -hmm. so I would say that that would be a part of it okay so Marshall Rosenberg again would we be able to touch on the difference between a request and a demand a request and a demand. Mm. Okay. Um, a request is a request is asking for something, like asking for somebody to help you meet a need, um, and not expecting that they would do it. Yeah. So it's asking for some for somebody to do something, um, and if they say yes, but somehow they're unable to do it, not. Um, Not hurting them because of that, not making the other person your enemy. So I think with um, with a request, you ask it because you trust that the other person wants the best for you. Whereas a demand is where you don't trust the other person, so you you already are you already assume that what you will need to do is that you will need to domesticate them by either punishing them or rewarding them depending on how they respond to what you um, demand from them i think it it comes a lot from um the person who's asking's reaction because someone could intend to request you something but then still be hurt or frustrated or disappointed by your refusal Yep. But it's how you act in that instance that deems, that, that basically judges whether or not it was a request or a demand. Because if, as, as Marshall said, if I ask you to do something and you can't do it despite any reason why, like there could be any reason under the sun why you couldn't do what I asked you to do, even if it's important, you know? But if my reaction is. Is not something that comes to understand your position, empathizing. If I'm just like, oh, you're not helping me, you're not doing, you're not doing the thing I asked for. That's it's obviously a demand, not a request. Oh yeah, if you, if you ask, for... if you only ask and don't and don't discuss it, if the other person says no. So if you if you ask and the other person says no, and it's a really important thing, and instead of continuing to make the request and then explain it further to them and try to try to make them understand how important it is if you just react straight away without trying to help them to understand what your need is and trying to work together to find a way to meet both of your needs then if you react before you even engage in that then i think it's definitely the person who demanded it but the person making the request that um could have shown more um control or, or self-awareness self-awareness yeah mm -hmm. yeah um but then there is the reverse side as well um where the person who is being requested of like the person who's being asked to do something may hear it as a demand instead of a request because of how they've been treated by that person in the past or by that same gender in the past. Um, Especially if they've been punished in the past for saying no, which means it was a demand yeah. or a request, then that person will struggle to find the trust or the courage to trust you in the moment when you are requesting, even if you do say it's okay to say no. Yeah, so they just they assume that it is a demand, not a um, request. So 
if we remove the request and we just look at the demand, how does the demand fit into um, fit into like constructing an agreement? So it seems to be like a request would be a healthy way to um, ask what you need and engage and change in a wise certain productive manner. Yeah, I think. I think requests are, um, it's necessary to make requests not demanded if you want a relationship that um, is guided by love. If you do anything else, then you're, you're definitely um, pointing and shifting the scales more towards a relationship that is guided by fear instead. Mm. And I think that, um, or hate and anger, like, all those things go together. So positive and negative relationship really. So the relationship being um, guided by a positive force, where you see what you could do differently, not what you've done. Um, or is it guided by a negative force, which is pulling it back into the past always, instead of pushing it forward? Knowing that you're domesticating out of love by how you sort of negotiate or react to the person's responses. Yeah, well, see, it's not really domestication when you're dealing with human, human on human contact. Like, it's not really domestication. Um, I think the word to describe it when it's something that's positive is conditioning. So you're not having to domesticate humans or be domesticated. Um, so you want to condition it so that you can live within its new environment. So within the new relationship or within the new house or within the new job, you want to make sure that you condition them correctly so that they perform the right way within that new setting. I think uh, conditioning has a negative connotation to it also though. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I'm trying to look for is the relationship between the demanding, like demanding and the construction of agreements and how that forms the fog. Okay, so returning to the fog. Um, 
the health to potentially within themselves extra money, but it doesn't seem to be affecting you or it seems to be working in your benefit. If you're willfully blind to that, if you ignore that, you allow your ignorance to just go, well, I'm just not going to look at that, you can still be taken to task in the law. You can still be charged for that. And that has a mythological foundation. So I think the idea is is that I think the idea is is that um, being willfully blind is something that does not serve life has a negative consequence, and that you'll be taken to task for that by whatever power is in control that's trying to serve life. Okay. So, an example of that is the Egyptian mythology of Horus, Osiris, and Set. So, the wise king, um, Osiris, I believe, I hope I'm this the right way around. The wise king, Osiris, um, began to grow old and timid. Um, he began to grow ignorant and was no longer keeping an eye on his evil brother Set and what happens is is um, Set rises up and kills Osiris mm-hmm. takes over the kingdom and then Horus um, confronts Set and basically kills him but you're forgetting the, the whole part in which like the chick, I probably am. the chick gets pregnant after Osiris is dead and then she has Horus, and then Horus goes to... Oh, Osiris' partner yeah, yeah. got pregnant. After he died. Yeah, after with... Osiris died with Horus, and then Horus but was it's, born. But it's Osiris' son. Yeah, it's Osiris' yeah. son, yes. It's Osiris' son. But after he's dead. <laughs> Keep going. Um, so Horus comes back, confronts Set, defeats him, but loses his eye in the process. Now, Horus goes into the underworld to see his father again, and he gives his lost eye to his father. And then him and his father rule the land as um, Horus is king, and Osiris is sort of his guiding... Um, he sort of restored Osiris's view. He, he replenished him. He um, restored... He, he fixed what was ossified and frozen in Osiris so that they could rule the land together. And the idea is is that willful blindness um, allows darkness to grow and you need to keep paying attention. Yeah, I agree. And that's why that's in the law. You need to keep paying attention. You need to make sure that... You need to, you need to be open about... Um, you need to be open and you need to investigate if you think someone is like changing the books, even if it's in your benefit. Yeah. Because yep. they could be doing it in your benefit so that you don't say anything. But then you don't say anything and then that person ends up stealing a whole lot of money. It's bad for you. It's bad for the um, financial system. You know? Yeah, yeah. Bad for your reputation as a company. So there are all these negative connotations with um, allowing pathology to grow or allowing mm. people to get away with these things. Yeah. Um, the next thing I want to jump into is the book ordinary men now i haven't read this book but i've heard i think about two or three people discuss the book quite a lot oh what book's this ordinary men so this is a book about um a police group maybe i should read the book (laughs) police group who who's talked about the book before uh jordan i think um son talked about it. I'm not sure who wrote it. But um, the idea of the... Oh, well. So what happens in the book is that there's a psychologist who goes to investigate the mindset of a like a police force. A yeah. set police group. Um, and this is happening during the World War II um, Nazi takeover. And it's an ordinary group of policemen who um, were given the option to leave the force or to continue and stay and work under the, the the new rising Nazi regime essentially okay and what seemed to happen is is that the out of obligation none of the men stood down oh and they this stayed. is the book where oh okay 
Yeah, you told me about this thing happening, but I didn't mm. know which book it was in. Okay. So the psychologist documents their mental state as the government continues to put in more and more regulations and various um, anti-human laws, like um, I think they were told to round up all of the Jews in the area and um, enforce curfews and all of this stuff. And the thing is, is that um, this is, I think it's one of Nietzsche's ideas, evil moves one step at a time. Um, and that's what happened. So these laws were put down one after the other, and because it was moving so slow, none of the policemen rejected it. They all just continued to follow the rules as um, mm. as the new rules were brought out. The problem is, is by the end of the book, the police are dragging uh, naked pregnant women into fields and murdering them. And it's like, how did it get to that one step at a time? Yeah. And that's why you have to be careful about willful blindness because they were willfully blind of the motivations that were guiding um, the law yeah. that they were like following. what did what did that what did that pregnant lady become to them? Like how far did the versus mentality go to the point where they never saw her as a mother with child? Like mm. what what did they see her as? How much did they hate her and resent her? How much did they despise her how much did they just not care the fact that they could actually just kill how much were they just looking the other way and following the rules following the law because it was in the law they were legally obligated to do that yeah so they put that before or they put that first um now this is something i think you could talk about which is our modern segregation modern segregation that's probably a strong way to say it so the grouping of people into their own areas and they're not allowed to mingle with people from outside of it. I think that's what segregation implies. Maybe that was too strong of a word for me to use. I mean, that does kind of fit, though, because, like, in the LGBTQ+, I can't remember any other letters. And I'm I think there's a two in there. I'm going to stop. There's a number now. Yeah, I'm going to stop like that because I really don't want to say any more. Um, just have other people behaving very... Um, disrespectfully uh, we can discuss things and talk about things and come to some type of agreement come to some type of um, <laughs> some type of compromise because it's clear that they, they left and right um, whichever side of the versus argument you're on and whichever argument you're having there is a point at which, like, it just becomes, um, you are fighting with that person, you're no longer listening to them, you're no longer discussing. Um, and I think that's happening a lot in that area. Um, so... What about with COVID? COVID as well? Yeah, that happens with COVID versus mentality came up with that as well. You're either a vaxxer, you're an anti-vaxxer, um, just making people into something putting them into groups so yeah like vexed and unvexed and then um, and like lgbtq and it's like plus it's like the way that they react to people within their community that do come out and discuss the things that people warning other people about the community are discussing they um come out and just dismiss them and i have i've seen quite a few videos about that. I'm not sure how prevalent it actually is, but it's the same with like people coming out and did they call Kanye not black? Yeah, because he voted for Trump. Yeah. And I don't know how many of these people there actually are. They could just be extremely noisy because like you could like have like a hundred kids in a room and the one tantrum throwing kids screaming is gonna grab your attention. Yeah. yeah and yeah. you and then you might be led to believe that all the kids are playing up, but it's just that one kid. Um so okay well um what do you think about so we're in new zealand um and in our country with the covid rules if you were vaccinated you were no longer allowed to be a doctor or a teacher to work as as one to work in the healthcare industry work in schools and that yeah Yeah. what do you think about that because that's sort of what i was aiming at with uh modern segregation Mm. Okay, um, I just thought it was, it was really silly 
like we I think we could have done a lot better during the pandemic if we'd had conversations because um, I think we are not taking everything into account if we're not talking to everybody it seems like nobody's talking anymore so nobody's actually understanding because if we keep fighting with each other nobody's going to be willing to understand the other person so I I think that's what happened with that and I thought I think it was a really silly decision because at the end of the day the government makes a decision and then we all have to do what they say so I just I thought it was really silly remember it's a demand it's not a request yeah I thought it was really silly that it came to them making that decision and like I was really annoyed I couldn't go to the pub anymore like, and that, that sounds silly, but it's a store that I have access to all the rest of the time. But now that there's a pandemic, I can't go in. And it's like, well, it's a pandemic. Of course you can't go in there. You're not vaccinated. And it's like, okay, well, let's have a look at what that actually means for you. And the problem is, is that even if it means that there's a tiny, tiny, tiny little percent chance that somebody might get sick from me going out and an even lower chance that somebody might die from me going out to the pub I can't go but like there's a risk in me driving around town every day I might accidentally run over your kid because they'll just run out and I'll just hit them <laughs> like it's this everyday shit that we do that we could actually like really muck up somebody else's life but the minute the pandemic happened, it was like that increased the versus mentality even more. Because it was like, look at, like, we're going to really make you think about how much other people influence your life. So it just took the responsibility away from individual even further. And you might think, well, your individual responsibility is to do exactly what the government says. Well, no, it's not. My individual responsibility is to talk about and, and speak up about things that I don't think are correct or like I don't I don't agree with the decision or I have something to say about it. I have more information to bring forward. I think one of the most important things um, to really be aware about with the way that um, like our doctors and our teachers were stripped out of the system is that it reduces the diversity of thought that's actually allowed within the system. So it replaces it with something that's a top-down structure where the people at the top just tell the people at the bottom what to do. Um, I believe it's illegal in New Zealand for a doctor to not recommend a vaccine. And how easy it is, is it for um, the institution to convince doctors to do that when... Um, in fact, all of the doctors that were against the vaccine didn't get it and are no longer practicing doctors. Or teachers. Teachers that were against the vaccine never got it. They didn't get it. They lost their jobs. And then every single teacher that's um, practicing gets to talk to all of their children about how they're vaccinated and how, how their, any alternative to that has been removed from the situation. Any alternative thought has been removed from the situation because the people that thought differently about that have actually been pulled out, and yet there was no conversation about that. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think the consequences of that are? I think that the minute you mandate something on a I think there needs to be, you need to have another solution available. I think that you need to look for a different solution than the one that we tried last time because I don't think that was a good solution. I don't think that that worked and I think it caused more damage than, than people thought it was going to. Yeah. And that it wasn't like a short-term thing. There were a few years there where people were going back and forth and people were saying a lot and wanting to be heard for what they were saying, but not a lot of people were getting heard. 
specifically on one side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the anti-vaxxers weren't getting hurt, and it's you can't you have to be careful to not do that too many times in a row to make a, a percentage of your population um, unhappy and not feel safe because when people don't feel safe to disregard their needs and demand something which is what the government did and what most of the governments that have employed this type of um, mandatory law yeah yeah so I think that's where we have to come away from seeing the government as our new parent when we leave home or even before we leave home to stop seeing mm. them as the the ones that are going to be in control of the rest of our lives the minute we get a job it's like okay that's it we're in the we're in the system go to do our packs every year we go get a car get it registered go do this and that what will um, happen if we just continue to accept um if we continue to accept the government being able to have the control that they've got in situations like this? I don't necessarily know if it's about continuing to accept the control that they have. Or refusing to resist. Refusing to what? Resist. Resist against it. Um, I don't think a lot of people refuse to resist. I think people who did want to resist resisted in some way. Some people didn't want to resist. But it seems to me that the people that didn't resist didn't really know what to resist for. They didn't understand it. Mm. So I think there's something that could be done differently next time, which is actual communication. Because it was too much from one side attacking the other. It was too... They were polar opposites of each other. There was no real clear space where any type of conversation was actually happening. Um, and that's shocking, and I think that's what's scary about it, and that's what makes it similar to things that have happened in the past. When do you think would be the time that we need to that we would need to stand up against something like this happening? Something like what happened in COVID? When do you think we should stand up? Yeah. I think it's on every single individual to know when it's time, and to be honest, I think it's when you have a decision in front of you whether to say yes to something that you don't agree with or to say no and that that's the only place that it can stop is right there in that moment because i can't do much more than just go okay well i i don't care whether i can go to the pubs or not i'm not going to get vaccinated and i'm just going to i'm just going to say no because i don't agree with it so like i don't i've done what research I needed to and I made up my mind mm. and I'm not required to get it so I'm not going to get it. If I was forced to get it for my job, which I wasn't, but if I was forced to get it then I would have um I wouldn't have just given up my job for it. I wouldn't have just gone, okay, well I guess I'll lose my job because I I'm not going to get vaccinated because losing my job is a much bigger deal than um, just not being able to go to the pub. So if I had faced losing my job because I didn't get vaccinated, then I would have taken it as far as is possible within the the system of law to not to have it not happen. To to find out exactly what's going on, and I think if people actually just took things that happened to them all the way to a conclusion, that said the things that needed to be said and had the discussions that needed to be had, then then you can do it all the time, I think. I think it's I think every day, every moment is a chance to say no to demands. There's a movie I used to watch as a kid. 
It's called um, The Iron Giant. Oh, yeah. One of my favourite movies. Yeah. I love to watch those movies. Um, I didn't really understand how profound it was until I watched it again. Was, was it about a year ago? I think we watched it, yeah, about a year ago now. It was really good. So, the Iron Giant has, like, a very interesting struggle. So he's a big robot. Um, he lands on Earth. He meets a kid. Um, he's got a very interesting, interesting struggle. And so, the boy sees the Iron Giant and thinks he's a monster. And then, um, after communicating with the monster, with the giant, um, he starts to see the giant as a hero, superhero even gets him to put on like a giant metal S on his chest so that he is like Superman. And he even says like, I'm Superman or something like that. Um, the boy shows the giant a comic book and in the comic book he sees a hero and a villain. And I, I believe it's Superman or something like Superman and then there's a villain with like lasers and stuff. And um, There's a moment when someone points a gun at... I think it might be the child. The child is playing with a toy gun and aiming it at the giant and something changes in him and like all of these lasers and stuff come out of him. And that's sort of the struggle that the giant has to deal with. He has to deal with the fact that there's a real possibility he could be the villain and not the hero. Oh, in okay. The story. Does he have like an inbuilt defense mechanism thing that kicks off when he gets... We'll when when someone points a gun, yeah, when you point oh, like okay. a gun at him, he's got an inbuilt mechanism where he will go into like a big defensive mode. And yeah, he's got like yeah. big lasers. And so shit he has to fighting. he has to struggle with the fact that that might um, become triggered at a point in which he will hurt somebody that he loves. That's the struggle. So we see him become like we see him love something and become self conscious so that he doesn't hurt it. Yeah, yeah. That's but nice. the the possibility is there that he could be that villain. He could be that thing that hurts the people he, that, I was going to say the people that he loves, but hurts people in the world, I'd say, yeah, yeah. more generically. And, um, in the end of the movie, uh, this ranger or whatever, uh, detective screws some shit up, a nuke gets launched at the robot because he has a grudge against the robot, and the nuke is basically coming down to kill everyone in the town. And the robot, like, kneels down to the boy and says, um, oh, no, sorry, I'm going to go back a little bit. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> so the, when the robot has his initial struggle with whether he's the villain or the, the hero, the boy says to him, you are who you choose to be. And then in that moment when the nuke's coming down, the robot kneels down to the boy and says, um, you are who you choose to be again, sort of reiterating that he will be who he wants to be in that story. He will be the good. Hero. He will be the hero. Yeah. So then he flies up straight into the nuke and there's a big explosion. Beautiful movie. Highly recommend it. This idea of choosing who you're going to be or who you want to be and aiming at that is discussed very heavily by Jung. It's a very central idea that he, he discusses in a lot of his material. So Jung uh, has this idea called individuation. The term can be used in, in multiple ways. It's, it has its positive and negative aspects, but the thing I like most about what Jung is um, discussing with individuation is that it's almost like your goal is to become the best version of yourself that you could be, and you do have a decision yeah. whether or not to follow that. Like differentiation almost. Because you can only be the best person that you can be if you recover from the shame of thinking that you have to um, prove yourself worthy of love. But you also have to accept what you are. Yeah, yeah. It means not running away from what you are and yeah. going, if this is what I am, I'm going to make the best out of what I am. Yes, I'm going to accept what is real right now and move on right now with the way things are. So instead of chasing, you stop and actually try to start building something for where you are now to find yourself within yourself, not like somewhere else or in someone else. 
Yeah, yeah. So that that also connects into um, breaking away the agreements that uh, produce a fog that distorts your vision of what you are, who you are, where you're going, what you're doing. Breaking away from all of that and finding out what's actually important to you. The strange thing is, what I found is that if you haven't found yourself when you were growing up, if your developmental needs weren't met, so you didn't, you were left home without knowing yourself, then when you get into a relationship, um, actually, it's more what I was going to say from what I've seen is that it's more that you can't fully find yourself until you are within a relationship. Um, but those tend to be the most, or like those, those tend to be pretty hard situations though, because you have, you're trying to find yourself while you have somebody else's needs in the picture as well. So mm. depending on your temperament, your attachment style and everything, um, that would determine how you treat them. But I, I think that there's only a, there's a certain part of yourself that you almost can't deal with alone. And that's why you need to ask somebody else to help you. I think that tends to be the part that you don't, that you're unsure of the world accepting. Uh, unsure if the world will accept that part. Accept of you. that part, yeah. So you have to put it through the filter first, almost, which is your partner, and they they do filter it out and they do correct it and they let you know um, what needs to be done. I mean, it's. It wouldn't be straightforward even if the communication was good, but if the communication is bad, <laughs> communication is violent, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it can be quite difficult, but that's the idea of marriage. You shackle yourself to somebody else and you um, you agree to show them your demons as they'll show you theirs. And that's why the weakening of like marriage laws and stuff actually has a pretty detrimental effect, even though believe that it's for the betterment because they have the freedom to leave and get with someone new the mm. problem is is that I just don't think many you... people are getting married I don't know the actual numbers mm. I think the main problem is that um, relationships often tend to be really easy and fun in the beginning and then if you're never if you're never going to shackle yourself to someone else as Shannon said mm. and let your demons out then what will happen is, is you'll run away from every relationship before you get to that point it's so strange though, because if you actually look back on relationships now, the saying that they're they're fun and easy in the beginning, it's like when I look back to the start of our relationship, we're having more fun now. So that's true. That's kind of like almost like a trick. Like oh, they're they're fun and you know easy in the beginning, um, and then things get harder. It's like no, you're just not as. I was referring to the the honeymoon period. Yeah. That people yeah. Have. But it's, now, it's you don't strange. have to let that go. You don't have to let that go. But it's interesting because um, I was working in the trades a couple of years back and it was like, it was common knowledge that everyone has a honeymoon period and once that's over, your partner is sort of like someone that just holds you to your responsibilities. There's no longer yeah. a... But it sounds um, to me that they never worked through the stuff that came up. Honeymoon period, you know, they married enjoying themselves oh these are some things that need to be dealt with let's never deal with them and i'll just i'll just say that you're you're a nagging bitch for the rest of your life because i'm never going to deal with them (laughs) and that's when um when the question arises will when things come up like that will you run from it or will you grow will you take on what's being brought up will you use nbc you yeah, don't have to use NBC, learn. but will you... Will you become wiser? Will you become... Yeah. Because that's the same decision that the Iron Giant made. Yeah. Will he run? Will he run from the love that he has? Will he allow himself to be taken over and, and destroy the things that he cares about? That's very similar to like um, what happens in, in many relationships. People that are afraid of love will slowly destroy their relationship until it's over and then and they've taken the path of the villain to do that. They've taken the adversarial path instead of the heroic path. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh well I'm just gonna fall down. I, I might I might as well take it down while I still have some power left. 
but it's like if you could have put that power into helping it if you only just believed and trusted that it would work if you give yourself fully to it some things are just that difficult some things just take everything but if you don't give everything then you'll never you never know like if you don't give everything to something then you then in the future you'll you look back and you know that you didn't give it your all then you'll wonder what how things could have been if you had mm. if you had actually done what was needed or if you just communicated with the person and found out what they'd actually needed then perhaps maybe you wouldn't still be together but that's that's why if you learn you keep going and sometimes it's like a lot of the time when you do get to the place that you're wanting to go it won't really matter much that it didn't work out the time before because it will feel right this time around mm. So it's a very good question to ask yourself, especially in difficult situations. Will you run or will you become? Ooh, I like that. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you have a good one. See ya.